0: We are in the book of Genesis, and um, I never cease to be amazed at how the sovereignty of God just happens week to week, not to mention day by day, and how it matches what's going on in the world. And um, sometimes I look at what's coming up like Mother's Day or you know, New Year's or Christmas, and say, "Do I need to take a break from the book of the Bible we happen to be studying?" And God's like, "No. <laughs> Today is no exception because Here it is, Mother's Day, and chapter 30 is about two moms competing to see who could have the most kids. So, pretty interesting story. I'm not recommending it that you've lived that way. In fact, in this story, we're going to see four people who are really messing it up. And one God who comes to the rescue. And isn't that the story of our lives? We mess it up, and God delivers us. Um, Our scripture reader this morning is Noel. Uh, I'm sorry, Alan Noel, that's her last name. Come on up here, Alon, if you would, and read the scripture for us. And I'm going to get this microphone ready for you right here. If you can go, either one, yeah, there we go. And it's been really good, good to get to know Alon and her daughter, Aria, amen. Really glad to have them as a part of Revolution Church. And so we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 30, and we're only going to do half the chapter today. So if you use that mic right there. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Happy Mother's Day. Good deal. All right, if you'd read God's word for us, you all follow along as she reads on, on the screen there.
1: When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even if I may have children, that even, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him, her servant Bilhah, as a wife. And Jacob went in to her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, "'God has judged me and has also heard my voice "'and given me a son. "'Therefore she called his name Dan. "'Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again "'and bore Jacob a second son. "'Then Rachel said, "'With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled "'with my sister and prevailed.' "'So she called his name Naphtali. "'When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dina. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son God has, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Amen. Thank you, Ilan. Appreciate that very, very much. Give her a hand. Yeah. <clears throat> So there was a couple of girls playing dolls one day and they were pretending about a wedding and all that stuff and thinking about what it would be like to be married someday. And one girl said to the other, so do you think you'll get married someday? And she said, yes. And she said, well, who would be your husband? She said, well, I plan to have four, six, 16 husbands. And she's like, 16 husbands? You can't do that. She goes, yes, I can. I went to a wedding the other day and the preacher said, for better, for worse, for richer and for poorer. So I'm going to have 16 husbands. Now, That makes for a good joke, but it makes for a scary marriage. Amen. (laughs) And so here is a situation where Jacob not only has one wife, he has two because he's been tricked into it. But now each of those wives, in order to win the baby competition, are giving their maidservants to him. So you got more wives involved. We're up to four now and it's really sketchy. It's really racy. It gets really weird. And just always keep in mind, believer, that what you read in the Bible is not being prescribed, but it's just being described. Okay. And there's, and what's being described all throughout history is how people mess up life. And the reason that we as a church are studying the book of Genesis is to see how to get it right. And sometimes God shows us how to get it right by showing us how people did it wrong. And we see a lot of this happening today in our world, how marriage is just crumbling as an institution, and it's being perverted and distorted and all kinds of things. And so God is showing us, here's the consequences if you mess with the model. I gave you a model, one man for one woman for one lifetime, Adam and Eve, and this is the way I wanted you to be, and you're messing it up. And so we're going to learn a lot about that this morning. So the way I plan to divide up the chapter here is into four parts. You'll see, first of all, Rachel's exhausting envy. And then Leah's crushing competition, the wacky wives and a wimpy husband, sounds like a good movie, huh? And then God remembers Rachel. So let's jump in right here. Let me give you a little backstory first, okay? Jacob was a twin. Remember that? Jacob and who? Esau, right? Jacob was born second, and the birthright should have went to Esau, but Jacob tricks it, out, tricks it out of him, you know, over a bowl of red stew. And, and Esau comes in from hunting. He's starving and he's going to die. He's like, give me some of your red stew there. And he's like, well, tr- give me your birthright. And he's like, well, might as well. If I don't have this red stew, I'm going to die, which was an incredible exaggeration, right? He had hanger issues for sure. And so he trades his birthright. But then later in life, in fact, 70 years later, well, 60 years later, there. The father's now giving out the blessing, which is different than the birthright. And once again, Jacob, the trickster, tricks his dad in thinking he's the brother coming in to receive the older brother's blessing. And he steals that from him too. So now Esau hates him. Mom says, hey, your brother wants to kill you because of my idea. Of course, she wasn't that honest about it. And she says, you know, why don't you go away and get a wife and just get out of here before he kills you? So Jacob flees north. 450 miles to find a a wife from their clan. And so he's up there and he's, and Laban, his father-in-law to be tricks him. He wants to marry who? Rachel, the younger daughter, the beautiful daughter. Instead, you know, he, the father heavily veils Leah, sends her in and he consummates the marriage with her, wakes up the next morning like, it's Leah. You know, it's crazy. What What have you done? You've tricked me. And he goes, well, you may try to get the, prefer the younger before the older where you come from, but we don't do that here. And so he gives them a little taste of his own medicine. And what's ironic about this is the dad, uh, Isaac, he, he, before that, he's going blind, right? And when the blessing was stolen, he's like, you know, your voice sounds like Esau. I mean, your voice sounds like Jacob, but you, you feel like and you smell like Esau, And so he tricked them. And it was so ironic about this. And this is what the story kind of shows a lot of poetic parallelism. Isaac's reaching into the darkness, calling out for the one that he loved, only to be tricked, right? Make a mental note of this. And then when Jacob thinks he's marrying Rachel, what does he do? He, He reaches out into the darkness for the one that he thinks he loves, only to be deceived. And then what's happening here is we have to ask this question. What if Jacob, when he was tricked on that honeymoon, said, you know what? I got the wrong girl. But God gave us the model as one woman for one man for one lifetime. Forget about Rachel. I will live with Leah and I will learn to love her. What if he had done that? Because what we're going to see in a situation is who keeps having the babies? Leah. And what was the blessing? That you're going to be fruitful, multiply, and bless the earth. And that you're going to have 12 tribes. What Leah does, she produces half of the 12 tribes, as we'll see here in a minute. What, what if he had done that? What if he had just stayed with that and said, okay, I was tricked, but I, I consummated the wedding. It was my fault. I, I shouldn't have been so drinking too much or whatever went wrong that night. And what if he had stayed there? The good hypothetical to think about. So back to our, so we, the story begins here. When Rachel saw, and, and I, and I want to, Emphasize that word. You keep seeing that when somebody saw something, saw something. It's a hyperlink back to the Garden of Eden. Remember the whole temptation began because what? Eve saw that the fruit was good for food and able to make one wise. It was, she was operating on sight. We're supposed to walk by what? Faith, not by sight. And sometimes everything in the world we think we see that's happening one way and our eyes, eyes can be deceiving us. This really weird thing happened to me the other day. I was in the front yard doing some yard work. Doesn't happen very often, but I was doing it. And uh, the garage door was open. I saw the garage, from where I was raking out in the grass, I saw the garage door, like not the the car door, but the, the door that goes into the house from the kitchen. I saw the door open. I heard Tammy's voice and then it looked like she walked into there and got something out of the dryer and moved something over and went back in. And so later I was talking to her about it. I said, so when you went out into the garage, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I never went out to the garage. I'm like, yeah, you did. You remember you went out there to put something I did not go out in the garage. I'm like, I am tripping here. I'm like, what did I see? I saw my wife going there. She had a great t-shirt on everything. I heard her voice. And I'm like, I was, let me just tell you, if you had asked me to bet a $1,000 that she was wrong and I was right, I would have lost I would have bet that money. I was 110% certain that she walked in the garage because I heard her voice, the t-shirt matched, the hair looked similar and all that stuff like that. But now when we recreated the whole scene, the Caitlin opened the door, Tammy told Caitlin what to do. So I heard, but Caitlin walked out. Caitlin also had a gray t-shirt on. And I, like I said, I would have bet $1,000 that my wife walked in there and she totally forgot that she did. Okay, sometimes what we see... And the way that we understand the way life is going is not always, always adding up. God knows that behind the scenes, there are things that are happening you don't, you're not aware of. And the most important things in the universe love, justice, gravity, the second and third laws of thermodynamics those are things that you cannot see, and yet the most powerful things in the universe are invisible. But we get on this earth and we Go, go totally based on what we see. We judge people by, by appearances. We think we got life figured out. And, and that's where Rachel is at. Her paradigm is all wrong. She saw that Jacob, that she bore no, Jacob no children and she envied her sister. Now, I've mentioned this a lot, but it's worth repeating. There is a big difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy is when I want what is mine. So if a guy starts flirting with Tammy, I'm going to be jealous. And guess what? That's a good thing. That is a healthy type of reaction. And that's why the Bible says of God that he is what? A jealous God. He loves and wants what's his and he wants their love, our love for him alone. And therefore, when we go after other gods, when we put other things before him, he becomes jealous and that is good. Envy, though, is when I want what's not mine, when I want what's yours. You drive a better car than me. You have a nicer house than me. You have a better looking spouse than me, whatever it may be. And someone becomes envious. And Here's what's happening to Rachel. She sees that her sister's popping out the babies, okay? If you're keeping score, it's four to nothing right now. And, and she's losing bad. And so she's very envious of her sister. Proverbs 14.30 warns us that envy is not only bad for you, Spiritually, mentally, it's bad for you physically. Solomon says a tranquil heart, a content heart, someone who's satisfied with what they have gives life to your flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Now, this is thousands of years before medical science knew that what's in the middle of your bones? Marrow. And when they treat you for cancer, guess what they go for? The marrow, they have bone marrow treatment everything in there. So you, that the marrow inside your body from anxiety and other negative emotions like envy actually mess up your bone marrow and bring poor health to your entire body. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not like a psychosomatic thing. It, It is, it is a spiritual reality that when you are not happy with what God has given you or what God hasn't given you, that you're Paying a toll physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And this is where Rachel's at. In fact, Solomon says also, don't let your heart envy sinners. Two things right there. Number one, the word let says it's a choice. You can let it happen or not. It is your choice. You can't say, well, I just can't help my, the way I feel. Yes, you can. You can help the way you feel. You, you, you're the one who has to be in control of your emotions. And don't let your heart envy sinners. It is a heart issue. But instead, your alternative is to continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. The fear of the Lord means the respect, the honor, and the worship of God and putting Him in His rightful place. And then being thankful, being content, and being satisfied with your station in life. That God has you where you are, when He has you there, for a time and for a purpose. And envy is the opposite of that. It's not trusting God. So she envied her sister and she says to Jacob, give me children, or what? I shall die? Really? How many moms have died from not giving birth? (laughs) So, but she feels so depressed, so dissatisfied, so disgruntled with life that she would rather die than not have children. If you know your Bible, you know this is really ironic, because years later, how does Rachel die? Giving birth to her second son. So she doesn't even realize that what's going on here. She's praying for something that really is, God is actually protecting her from. Perhaps God, in his mercy, withheld children. The very thing that Rachel wanted most because it was what would eventually kill her. Maybe that's why God has held off. If she had had children sooner, maybe she would have died sooner and God's protecting her, protecting her from that. Like they often say, be careful what you pray for, right? And so here's, again, situation where Rachel's questioning God's ability to be in control of the universe. She would rather have things her way. Leah just wants her husband to love her, to be happy, but just all she gets is children. And ironically, Rachel has her husband's love, but wants children in order to be happy. What what do we call this? The grass is greener on the other side of the fence, right? It's like we have, so one family has all this, but what they really want is what's over there. And this family has that, but they don't have what they have. And they think, I would only be happy if I had that. Be really careful when you say that phrase, because when you say, if I only had dot, 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 you know what's happening right there? You're identifying the idols in your life. Think about that. When you say, if only I could get that promotion, if only my income could be at six figures or at this number, if only I was married to him, or her, or if only I could just be married, or if only I weren't married, whatever your situation in life. Your if only is identifying your idol in your life, and that's where we have to be careful about. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. Do you see what's happening here? Kindled. When do you use the word kindled? When you're making, when you're out camping and you kindle a fire. You see, when you kindle it, all the fuel is already there. In fact, you may have even started the fire, but you're now you're kindling it to get burn more. Jacob hasn't said much up until this point, but the anger is already there. It's already simmering. It's already pre-boil. And all of a sudden now it's like, and he's about to explode. He's been harboring this anger for a while because these two wives are driving him crazy. Leah, because she's never satisfied. She doesn't have enough kids. She doesn't get enough attention from her husband. And Rachel, because she doesn't have kids. And so he's got double the trouble and the anger is starting to boil in his heart. Jacob puts all of his happiness eggs into Rachel's basket, only to to now summer with anger about her discontent. For 14 years, he served Laban to get Rachel. And his if only was, if only I could marry that beautiful girl. Beautiful face, beautiful figure. If I could have her, I'd be happy. And now he has her and guess what? She's not happy, so now he's not happy. And now the anger is beginning to boil up in his heart. So, he, he gives a really, and you can, I won't try to emulate the volume here, but I'm sure he's probably yelling at her. Am I in the place of God? What, what an amazing question there. That's where he feels like he's the pressure is on his shoulders that he should perform or somehow be in control of all this. Rachel has put her faith in her husband to bring her fulfillment in life instead of God. Instead of drawing satisfaction, joy, and happiness from her relationship with her heavenly father, She's trying to get all this from her husband. He's trying to get all of it from her. That is a crushing amount of pressure to put on your spouse. Your, your total life happiness does not depend on each other. It depends on who? It depends on God. Now, your spouse is icing on the cake. That's the bonus God gives you. But it will crush your spouse if you expect them to make you happy. You're if only can't be involved in what their life is about. So he says, am I in the place of God? Let me ask you this question. I need to ask it. what have I, or what do I at times put in the place of God? I can tell you one thing for sure. A lot of us, it's this. We get bored, we go straight to this. We get stressed, we go straight to this. We wake up in the morning, we go straight to this. And let me tell you, that's, it's not good. It's not healthy. Some recent reports came out about Instagram and how girls who are hyper grammars, as they call them, are four times more suicidal than girls who don't have the app. Four times from an app. Let, let me offer you an a challenge. I, in fact, I offered this years ago, and it's time to refresh this. When you get up in the morning, let me challenge you. The first thing you should open is not the fridge, not your favorite app. It should be your Bible. And if your Bible app, that's fine. If that's your favorite app, it's great. Put your phone on, uh, what do you call it? Uh, airplane mode. <laughs> Don't get any distractions. Open God's word first. No, no Bible, no breakfast. Okay. That, that, that should be your challenge. You, you should read God's word first. what does what Matthew tell us? Chapter six, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added to you. Doesn't mean you can't ever open your phone, but let me tell you, there's a time to put it down. If you find yourself always drawn to that, or always drawn to a certain person or always drawn to a certain substance be aware these things will do damage god is the one who should be first but let's let's explore this what have we put in the place of god that we feel like is missing have we put our career instead of god does your boss have more say so in your life than god does does your boss or your career dictate your schedule more than god does what about your sexuality? In the day we live in, it's all about how I identify and what I feel and who I'm attracted to, and all my life is about this one thing. And we totally snub and shake our fists in the one, in the face of the one who created sex to be the most one of the most wonderful gifts He's given us, and we totally turn it up on the side of its head and twist it and distort it until God, you have no business in being involved in this. This is who I am. This is what I want to do and what I want to be. And we make that our God. We have a whole generation that is doing that and they're not the first. It's been going on for thousands of years. What about your good looks? Are you counting on that to draw your attention, to impress, to make you feel good when you look in the mirror? Do you draw that from more satisfaction from that than from your relationship with Jesus? What about your wealth? Do you feel stable that even though the economy is tanking, you're good because you got money. Is your security in your 401k or in your, or in your savior? What about your spouse? Do you feel good about life because you're married to the right person? Or are you hoping that that will happen instead of feeling good about life because of what God is doing? You fill in the blank. What have you put in, like like Rachel put her husband in the place of God, And and Jacob calls it for what it is. He says, am I in the place of God? The answer to the question is yes. You're looking to me to do for you what only God can do. And I can't do that. And I can't handle that pressure. And then he answers to this. He says, God has withheld from you. Not me. I'm not infertile. I'm having babies with these other women, with with Leah, which shouldn't be happening. So the problem's not with me. Isn't it it funny? Isn't that what, what Sarah said to Abraham, you know? What a miracle, you know, God would, you know, old man like you. And she's like, I'm not the problem here. You know, bl- blaming someone else. And, and he says, that God has withheld. And, and Jacob's thrown God under the bus here. Withheld sounds like it wasn't, he didn't choose to say delayed. Because he knows she's going to have children. That's part of the promise. He's like, no, God just holding back. That is the lie from the Garden of Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. And he's like, you know, what did God tell you? When God says you shouldn't eat it and not even touch it, God's like, God knows that he's holding out on you. He's withholding from you because he knows in the day you eat thereof, you'll become like God yourself. That's what the whole world system is about. Becoming God yourself. Not acknowledging our creator, but worshiping the creation. We are throwing God out of our lives and making ourselves and saying, you've withheld from me, God, so I'm going to go get it myself. And he says, it, God's withholding from you, not me. The emphasis is there. He didn't say, has God withheld from us, the children? He's saying, God's withholding from you. Then she said, well, here's my servant Bilhah, go into her. Again, they heard the stories about Abraham and Sarah, right? And yet, history has a way of repeating itself. And it runs in families many times. Alcoholism runs through generations, lying runs through generations, immorality can run through generations. And I'm not talking about a superstitious generational curse. I'm just talking about, we learn from our parents and we have their DNA and we tend to make the same mistakes over and over again. And so he, she offers her maidservant. Now, this is wrong. We all know it's wrong. In this culture, it's okay. But do we live by the culture? No, at least we shouldn't, but oftentimes we default to that. What's interesting is prior to Roe versus Wade making abortion legal back in the seventies, the overwhelming majority of Americans thought abortion was wrong. But once it was legalized a generation later, the majority thought it was okay because the, the logic was, well, if it's legal, it must be okay. There's a lot of things that are legal that are not okay. You can go to Nevada and sleep with prostitutes all day long and it's totally legal. It's not okay. It doesn't mean all of a sudden you cross a state line and God changes his mind. We don't cave into the culture. Just because the culture says this is okay doesn't mean God has changed his mind. The Bible is the eternal word of God for generation to generation. It doesn't change. We don't, we don't have to update the Bible like some churches are teaching it still has eternal principles that we need to abide by. And it says she says, go into my servant so that she may give birth on my behalf. That watch this, that I may have children through her. Who does she want the child for? She didn't say that well, we may have children so that I. This is all about herself here. She's being selfish just like Jacob's been selfish. And then it says, so Jacob went into her. Okay. And what's interesting about this language here, it doesn't describe it in a godly romantic way. Adam and Eve and all these other godly marriages, it says Adam knew Eve, like to know someone intimately, mentally, physically, spiritually. But here it just describes it like it's a graphic act. And as we read the story, what has Jacob said so far? Besides, am I in the place of God? Nothing. (laughs) That's the problem here. He's not saying anything. If if, if your wife, I mean, I, I... This is just beyond fathom here. (laughs) Offered you some other woman and said, here, have kids with her. And you're like, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Have you lost your mind? There's a whole list of things that Jacob could have and should have said right now. But what does he say? He says nothing. Jacob is failing at being a godly leader. He's not in control. He's got his wife's playing him back and forth like a ping pong game. And he's not doing anything about it to stop it. I don't like to make a, a habit of quoting psychology today because I'm not big into psychology. But for the statistics, I find this article useful. January 8th, 2023, it was article about why so many uh, men, are, I'm sorry, my typo there, why so many men are passive. And it gives three prominent reasons. Number one, the men in this relationship, they felt criticized, dismissed, and have given up. Here, the guy says that whenever he's stepped up and initiated something to try to be a leader, he's always met with resistance or criticism. He's feeling dismissed or micromanaged and has simply just stopped trying. He's adopted, fine, do it your way attitude. The second reason men tend to be passive now in this generation is the relationship seems out of balance. The guy feels he's not getting what he needs and more appreciation, more affection, more attention, and he's pulled back and checked out of the relationship. You don't give me what I need, so I won't give you what you need. This is trench warfare, a blink contest with each waiting for the other to make a move. They're, number three, they're afraid of conflict. Just thinking about initiating gets the guy anxious about the possible conflict and upset or upset. They either go along with, then periodically blow up over something minor because of passive aggressive and express their anger by forgetting or doing what the partner wants, but at their own slow pace. I think that nails it pretty good. Guys, we are called by God to be godly leaders of our home, but we're not to be domineering. We're not to be oppressive. We're supposed to be loving servants. And we have a good role model for that. Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Is Jesus Christ the leader of this church? Yes. Is he a strong leader? Yes, but he is a sacrificial servant leader. You see that difficult but necessary balance of serving your wife, loving your wife, putting her needs first, but yet at the same time being the leader of the home. That, this sounds patriarchal and people gonna put up all kinds of labels on it or re- regressive, but I'm telling you, it's God's way of doing it. And let me tell you something. I don't know of a woman who wouldn't want a loving, godly servant husband to take the lead, to be, not, not be the dictator, but talk things through, but be one who takes a stand, especially when it comes against evil. Here, Jacob's wives are discouraged. There are all kinds of problems. They, they're, maybe they're panicking and they're, they're offering all kinds of things that are wrong it's time to stand up. It's time for Jacob to say, you know what? I understand what you're going through and you feel hurt. You feel neglected. You feel all these things, but I'm not going to cross that line. I'm not going to do that. So she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife, and Jacob went into her, again, physically and metaphorically, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Notice what did Rachel ask for? That you would bear me a son, but the Bible's bears the text out. God doesn't even recognize it as her son. Maybe that culture is okay for someone else to give birth as a surrogate, and then you take it. But God says, no, no, it's Jacob's son. You wanted it for you, but I see the reality. I'm, he's the one that's chosen that the Messiah is going to come through. Then Jacob said, God has judged me. That, that sounds negative, but it's not. It means it's like you go to court to get um, compensation or reparations, and the judge says, yes, I, I find that you deserve a settlement here. And so, basically, God has vindicated me. That's how she's interpreting this scene here. And has also heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she called her name, called the name Dan, which means God is my judge. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again. And do we see Jacob saying, no, 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 I'm not doing this. No, again, he's being passive. And Jacob, and she bore Jacob a son. Again, not Rachel. Moses is saying, we know the real thing. She's talking about me, 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 I, I, but God knows the reality. Then Jacob said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed. Now, if you know Genesis well enough, in a few chapters, who's going to wrestle with God? Jacob, right? Okay. So it's setting the stage about here. We've got a husband and wife wrestling with each other and people are sisters wrestling with each other. Father-in-law, son-in-law wrestling with each other, fighting over things. But ultimately, Jacob's going to be shown in a few chapters, spoiler alert here, your wrestling is really not about with these people. It's with me that you're wrestling with. Um, Ephesians 6.12 talks about how our wrestling is spiritual. It's not physical. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, in other words, against people, but against rulers, and this is talking about on the dark side, against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present, What? darkness, spiritual forces. So let me ask you a question. Who are you wrestling with? What spiritual warfare, hand-to-hand combat is going on in your life right now? Who are you wrestling with on your job? You think your boss is your problem. It's a spiritual problem. You think your coworkers are your problem. It's a spiritual problem. You think the people who won't do their job below you are the problem. Let me tell you, it's a Spiritual problem. I'm not discounting what they're doing wrong or right. I'm just saying, I want to ask you this question. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God to make things better to give you wisdom as to what to say or what not to say? Who are you wrestling with in your marriage? You think it's, oh, if he would just do his part. Have you prayed about it? Is there a spiritual problem going on there between you that's causing it? It's not just them and their stubbornness. It, maybe, maybe if you would pray for, if we, men, if we would pray for our wives more, we would have less problems in the area. You see, we have an, an opposition. We have an enemy who wants your ma- marriage to fail. Who wants your children to fall apart? Who wants you to argue and bicker? And we think we're just wrestling against flesh and blood. And the reality is there is a spiritual component involved. Who are you wrestling with for your children? You think it's just because they're disobedient. Have you considered that there are evil forces in your home trying to encourage them to be disobedient? Have you prayed against that? Have you introduced the word of God into your home so you can dispel that kind of darkness? Who are you wrestling with in your school, you think in your class, oh, so it's just if those bullies would leave me alone. Or if my teacher would not treat me, And why doesn't she even like me? Have you, have you considered it's possibly it's a spiritual battle? Who are you wrestling with about your envy? Do you have the same problem Rachel had? Other, if I could just have what they had, I'd be happy. Who are you wrestling with about your anger? Well, I just got it from my dad. I'm just like my dad. Okay, what are you doing about it? What are you doing to spiritually form yourself into the image of Christ so that anger is not ruling your life and that you're not hurting people with your words and with your reactions? That takes us to the second point here, Leah's crushing competition. So when Leah, what, saw, (laughs) what is she focused on? The physical, that she had ceased bearing children. She took her servant Zilpah and she said, okay, two can play this game. And gave her to Jacob as a wife. Notice it's as a wife. So they think it's okay as long as you marry. God forbid we have sex outside of marriage. So you need to marry my servant. Hello, polygamy. Have you ever heard of that sin? Okay, but we tend to justify things with religious intent. Um, But here Leah's got the same problem going on. For some reason, she's still not happy. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore who a son? Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Okay, good fortune is what she named her son. And this is a jab against Rachel. See, look, I got good things going over here. I think the count right now is five to one. You're losing, sister. You know, in fact, you will see these two sisters naming these kids, basically jabbing back and forth at each other. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And what does Jacob say? Nothing. Still being passive here still giving into temptation. And Leah said, oh, I'm so happy. And why am I happy? Well, because the women of the village have told me I'm happy. <laughs> I mean, who is she doing this for? She's not truly happy, but everybody, everybody thinks she's, she is. So she names that child Happiness or Asher. So we move to the third point. We got some wacky wives and a wimpy husband. You've seen that so far. Um, in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben, who by now is six years old, He's the oldest child. So these kids are coming out real fast, okay, averaging a child per year. And he went and found mandrakes. This is a certain type of flower out in the field. It's a very rare type of flower. If you eat it or mix it into a tea, it can cause you to hallucinate and do all kinds of weird things. There's two types of them. There is the Middle Eastern mandrake and there's the European one This obviously talking about the Middle Eastern one. And people thought that it was one of two things, and usually both that it was an aphrodisiac, that it heightened your arousal, or number two was a, a fertility drug, and most people thought it was both. That if you somehow mix this in a tea or eat it or drink it, I don't know what they did with it, maybe bake it in brownies, I don't know. Um, they, they would somehow make you have children, okay? In fact, here's what's really weird. The reason it's called a mandrake is because the root, when you pull it up, looks like a person, This is not a cartoon. This is an actual root from a mandrake. And there's some that you can go online and look at them. They look really like people. And people will actually carve little faces on them because they look like a person. And so superstitiously, people thought whatever the root of something looks like, they're like, that's what it heals. So if some vegetable was like heart-shaped, they thought it was good for your heart and so on and so forth. And this thought was a man. So it'll help your man to help you conceive. And so then Rachel said to Leah, Please, now all of a sudden she's talking real nice when she wants something. Please give me some of your mandrakes. You know, I want, I want my husband to have kids with me, not just my, my maidservant. And so let me have some of these. And she's talking real nice. And of course, Leah's snarky right back to her. She says, Man, is, it, is it some small matter that you have taken away my husband? Is that accurate? Yeah, it is. Now, it shouldn't have been that way. He was tricked into marrying her first. He should have married her first and then been done because multiple wives is a bad thing, as we're seeing by this whole chapter here. She's like, you shouldn't even be married to him. He's my husband. You took away my husband. Now I'm going to try to take the flowers that my son gives to me? I mean, what kind of witch are you? You're, you're just going to come in and take everything away? You want to take away my mandrakes also? So Rachel said, okay, then he may lie with you. Watch this. She's giving permission. Who's in control here? Rachel is. Rachel says, you can't sleep with her unless I say you can. She's, she's the control freak in the marriage, okay? We talked about control as being one of the gods people worship. You see, the reason, one of the reasons that Leah has probably stopped conceiving is because he's not coming to her tent anymore. It's pretty evident that the main place that his pillow is, is in Rachel's tent and not with these maidservants and definitely not with Leah. So she says, okay, I will let uh, your husband... Lie with you tonight if you give me the mandrakes. Um, I think in all 50 states, this is called prostitution. Okay, this is really whacked situation. This is really weird. So what was, what's the idol that Laban worshiped? Power. He wasn't going to be tricked. He was going to trick the trickster. Rachel's the control freak. Jacob just says, hey, I just want a beautiful wife to lie with. And Leah's like, would somebody just please love me? My dad didn't love me. My husband doesn't love me. My sister doesn't love me. Maybe kids will make me feel loved. And of course, that's not working either. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, see how forward this is. You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. (laughs) It doesn't get any more blunt than this. Anybody says the Bible is boring is not reading it carefully. This is a crazy, I mean, this is, This is general hospital, the days of our lives rolled up in one on steroids, okay? This is craziness here. And so he lay with her. And again, does he say anything? Like, this is not good. I don't care what your sister said. And how weird is it that her sister is also her sister-in-law and her husband's also her brother-in-law. I mean, this story could be in Arkansas or something. This this is really weird. So the language is that he lay with her. It doesn't say that Jacob knew Leah. It says he lay with her. You see, every time there's a godly sexual situation, it says they, that Adam knew Eve or Abraham knew Sarah or, and so forth. And every time that you see an evil situation where it's a prostitute or homosexuality, it says they lay with them. You see, you got to follow the language carefully because it tells the whole story. But in spite of all their wackiness, in spite of all their sinfulness, God listened to Leah. You almost want to read this and say, God, why? Why would you want to listen to them? This is where you should be having lightning bolts coming down. God's incredibly patient. And he's been incredibly patient with me. And I know he's been incredibly patient with you. And I'm thankful that the lightning bolts aren't, that he's holding them back. But let me tell you, there's a day coming when he's not. There's a tribulation coming, the Bible comes out, that we're all, all the wrath All the anger, all the judgment that God has justly felt towards human beings in the rebellion is going to be like the floodgates will be open. And what's so sad is the book of Revelation tells us when all that judgment being poured out, people will say, I'd rather the rocks fall on me than repent. And we think, oh, people just don't love Jesus because they don't know. No, they know. And before you were saved, you knew. We have a rebellious heart. All of us do. And it, there before the grace of God go, go us, right? And so here, even though Leah is manipulating, engaging in male prostitution, if you will, and doing all these crazy things towards her sister, towards her husband, God's like, I know what you really want, Leah. And so I, I hear you, I hear you. And so he allowed her to conceive and she bore Jacob a fifth son. So Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And again, the names correlate with what's happening. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, she thinks. Isn't that what she said with the first three kids? Because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulon. And once again, it's a jab, like, my husband will honor me, not you, Rachel. You know, you've been the favorite, but now all of a sudden I'm the favorite because I'm the one that's pumping out the kids here. So Leah has now become the mother of six boys, which is interesting because that's three times as many as Rachel and Zippa and Bilha. They each have two, two, and two. She's got six. And of course we know that three is the number of God. And I don't want to read too much into the numbers there, but I think that's what God is trying to say that maybe if he had just married her and not engaged in polygamy, all 12 tribes could have came through her. Just sanctified speculation if you would. And afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now, this doesn't mean she didn't have other daughters. It just means this daughter is really important. This is a preview of things to come because later Dinah is going to become a victim of all this polygamy that's going on. Just a little footnote there. Now, let me give you a little Bible geography, if I can. And I, again, this may seem dry and boring, but it, it, it's important to know these things. If you were to look at a map now of the 12 tribes of Israel, as will, will eventually come about in the Old Testament when they, when they spread out into the Promised Land, God gives each of them, of, of the 12 sons except for one, and we'll talk about that in a second, a, a section. Okay, so Leah's kids go to where these triangles are, okay, Judah, Judah, Simeon, Reuben, uh, Moab—I'm sorry, Moab's taken one. Sorry, and then uh, we've got Zebulon and Issachar. And so we see how they spread out there. And then if you look, one of her sons was named Levi, but he doesn't have territory. Why? Yeah, they're the priesthood. He says, "I will be your portion." I will be your inheritance. You don't need real estate. You need me. And you're going to trust in me. You're going to be the one to tell the people of God how to trust in me. And you're going to be a daily example that you will live off the land, off of everybody else taking care of you. Okay. And so then we go to uh, Zilpah, one of the handmaids. And this is the two triangles there. Asher and Gad are where um, they settled. And then Rachel, she has Benjamin, but who else does she have? She has Joseph, but there's not a tribe called Joseph, why is that? Because God gave a special blessing to Joseph and gave it to his two grandsons, okay, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh, we know that that tribe split and they went east and west on that, but that's just a little history for you there. And so then Rachel, you know, she, she, she has Benjamin and then her handmaid, Bilhah, um, has two and that's Dan and Naphtali. So you see the 12 tribes and you think, if you were trying to be a patriotic Israeli, and you say, this is how our country came into being. <laughs> I mean, imagine a map of the United States. Yeah, C- California came out because of incest, and Colorado came out because, because my, my dad had an affair, and Mississippi happened because, well, you know how that goes. And, this all, and all the states had some really bad past history. That's, and this is what the Jews look at and say, there's our history. Yep, great-grandfather, he had four wives. Two of them were sisters and two of them were handmaids, and this is our history. Why does God do that? To keep us humble. People who read the Bible and say a bunch of men got together and made this religion up to suppress women and minorities, they made themselves look like idiots then. (laughs) And they were minorities, by the way, okay? And they they show whether it's Peter or John or Jonah or Isaiah, they show you how stupid they are over and over and over again. And they even say, here's our history. We're not going to whitewash it. This is it. This is, how we, this is where we came from. So we talked about Rachel's exhausting envy, Leah's crushing competition, the wacky wives and the wimpy husband. And that brings us to the final point. God remembers Rachel. So barrenness or infertility is not necessarily mean that God is punishing someone. Okay? I know that there are women in our church who are infertile or unable to have biological children of their own. It does not mean God is punishing you. People can read into this text and try to twist it to say that. That is not the case. Consider Sarah. was God punishing her? No, He was delaying the birth. How about Hannah? Was God punishing her? No. G- gave her a, 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 an amazing son. Same with Elizabeth. He waited till she was in her old age to miraculously give birth to John the Baptist. So God can delay fertility for good reasons. It's not always punishment. Sometimes it is because in that culture, that's what they live for. God's like, hey, if you're not going to live for me, I'm not going to give you what you want. If you're not giving me the worship that I want. Um, so then God remembered, it doesn't mean that God's like, oh, oh, that's right. Rachel, I totally forgot about her. It's not talking about some divine amnesia here. It means that God purposely waited till this time. Now I'm going to speak to her. Now I'm going to intervene in her life. And God listened and he opened her womb because he was the one that was keeping it closed. And she conceived and bore a son. And um, she says, God has taken away my reproach because in that culture to not have children was was a reproach. It was a bad stigma. And people and women especially look down upon you. And so she called his name Joseph And here, once again, she got what she wanted, but what does she name the child? God, give me another son. It's not, God, I'm thankful for Joseph. Finally, I have a son. It's like, no, I'm ready for another one. I'm already not happy with the one I have. I'm ready to trade this one in and get another one. Again, the discontent of the human heart is eternal, except for the grace of God. We just, we we enjoy something for a little while, and then it gets old. We, every parent has seen the two-year-old open the present, play with it for 30 seconds, and then play with what? The box. It's just the way we are. Having children is one of God's most beautiful and, and amazing gifts to women. Amen? This, this, is, this cannot be underestimated in the Bible. For a mom to conceive in love and then give birth to a, a beautiful child is one of the most amazing miracles of life. In fact, as men, I think this is where we have to just stand back in awe of like, man, if it wasn't for the pain, I'd like to do that, you know? But God has reserved this just for women as something amazing and beautiful. But it can't be the only thing in a woman's life. And uh, I, I knew of a lady who married very young, didn't really have a career and had a lot of kids. I mean, a lot of kids, old school, you know. And she put, poured herself totally into motherhood, which is great. But when all the kids were grown and gone, life became extremely empty. And so she continued to mother a couple of the boys who were still single, and even into the 30s and 40s, was very much a controlling mom to them because she could not give up the role of mother because that's all she was. And again, I'm not trying to undermine or undervalue raising children. It's in fact our culture has the opposite problem. But in this story, Rachel and Leah it became a false god. Their whole life, their whole self-image was if I don't have kids I'm worthless. If I don't have kids I'm worthless and they, that's the way they were. And again, our culture I don't think That's a very rare problem in in today's society. In fact, today, it's the polar opposite. Birthing and raising children is incredibly undervalued in today's culture. In today's culture, we would rather kill them than let them live. That's That's not hyperbole. People are no longer just, like Bill Clinton used to say, abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. They don't say anything about rarity today. They want it to be, no matter what, right up to nine months. And now several states are talking about post-birth, letting the baby starve and die on the table if the mother's intention was to be birthed. I'm not making this up. So we are totally acting like babies are like, oh, darn, I'm pregnant. When it should be, yay, I'm pregnant. You see, if you're happily married, you think children are a beautiful consequence of having intercourse. But today it's like, let's have intercourse and hope we don't get pregnant. As if children are a curse. It's really, we've turned the world upside down. Today's culture sacrifices babies on the altars of sexual freedom, career, and education. Today's culture frowns upon the stay-at-home moms and really frowns upon motherhood in general. They say things like, oh, you're just a mom. Just a mom? (laughs) That, That should never come out of our lips. Motherhood is the most amazing thing that God gives to us. As it gives to you as women. It's a miracle. Nothing short of that. Our culture looks at this and says, when women behave in a masculine way, look at that. That's awesome. Let's pay money to watch that. But if a man behaves in a masculine way, he's toxic. It doesn't make any sense. When, when a man asks feminine, well, acts feminine, we say he's a hero. When a woman acts feminine, we say she's helpless and she's being suppressed by men. Do you see how all this is just turned totally backwards? It's like two plus two is Z. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We need to glorify the way God has made us. Masculinity, I realize there is such a thing as toxic masculinity, but today they're calling all masculinity toxic. And God has made us strong for a reason, men. Amen? to be leaders, to, t- to protect our wives and our children and to protect our families and our neighborhoods and our communities. God has made women feminine in a very special way. It's not weak. In fact, the Bible talks about being the finer or the more valued vessel and, and how, I mean, you look at a cinder block and you look at a Ming vase, which one's stronger? The cinder block is, but it's not very pretty. Look at the Ming vase. It's fragile, but its fragility is part of its value. It's worth a million dollars. You see, that's the, God has created us different. You are not acting like a boy or a girl because that's a cultural construct. The, the science has already blown that away. They've introduced children living in the middle of Africa who, uh, Africa who have never seen a truck, never seen Legos, have never seen Barbie dolls, and they put the toys out in the middle and the boys grab the trucks and the cars and the girls grab the baby dolls and they start acting like boys and girls. And they were acting like boys and girls in their culture, but it's not the American culture forcing boys to act like boys and girls to act like girls. That is a lie from the devil, okay? In fact, they've even seen if they put, like, only cars amongst boys and girls, the toddlers, the girls will take the cars and say, what did you do today? Well, I raced in a race today. What did you do today? And the boys are going, raw, 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 and smash them. Because that's what boys do and girls what girls do. And if you start in your body acting different. The problem isn't your body, the problem is what's going on up here. We used to say, well, then we need to fix it going up here, but now we say, no, we need to mutilate your body to match. If an anorexic girl who only weighs 78 pounds and is dying because she's starving herself, goes to a doctor and says, I want liposuction because I'm fat, are we gonna affirm her identity as a fat person? And put surgery on her that's going to destroy her body? Or are we going to try to fix her heart and her mind? You see, the world is turned upside down. We cannot cave with the culture. Praise God for women who have successful careers and can represent Christ where they work. I am not talking about only stay-at-home moms are in the will of God. I'm not talking about that at all. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says your home is your primary responsibility, but doesn't say you can't have responsibilities outside the home. Read Proverbs 31. She was in real estate. She was in shipping, and she was in mercantile, and she had a fabric business going on, okay? And she's, her children rose up and called her blessed. So there's a balance there. But no job is of greater value than the job of raising the next generation. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to speak for the women, I've heard it from you. We can take many examples and don't get mad if, I don't see, I have your picture up here because i only picked a few. Aurelia Medina has a degree in education. She's a great school teacher, but she will tell you these four children mean more than any kid in her class and any amount of degrees or recognition she gets at work. She will tell you they come first. Uh, Linda Dement is an occupational therapist, occupational therapist, not physical therapist. Okay? She's very good at what she does, but she will tell you that Eliana means more than any raise, promotion, or career, or paycheck. Um, Chenda is Dr. Chenda. She's got degrees. She teaches the teachers. She's well advanced in the parallel school district, but she will tell you that Gabriella means more than any amount of recognition or diplomas or degrees or sheepskins. In fact, by the way, Gabriella just got Rookie Teacher of the Year in Alvin ISD, okay? And that's because Gabriella was the priority over other things in her life. Tammy has a degree in in elementary education and a special certification in early childhood development. She was a public school teacher for 14 years, private school teacher for four years. and then. But when we got custody of Isaiah and Caitlin, she dropped all that and began to be a stay-at-home mom. And we choose to live with a whole lot less... Because she wanted to raise these two abandoned children in our home. And that means more than any teacher of the year award you could give her. And I could go on and on and on with the women of Revolution Church. So forgive me if I didn't mention you. But we've got to make children, dads and mom, we've got to make children the priority. Do you realize the birth rate all around the world is going down? Japan is gonna have an economic crisis in the next decade because they don't have enough young people to support the number of people retiring. It's happening in Russia and now China. China's whole policy of one child per family has totally backfired and they're like, no, please, make babies, make babies, make babies, because our economy is tanking now. Because God says be fruitful and multiply, but man and socialism and Marxism say, no, don't have kids, or okay, have one. Do you see how Genesis really matters? Proverbs 31 says, talking about this mother in this great chapter, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. That's what Mother's Day is about. The children blessing their mom and their husbands praising them. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain. And would y'all read the rest of this verse with me? But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Do we believe God's word? Or do we believe the culture? You see, this whole story, this whole problem started with Isaac calling out into the darkness, thinking he's blessing the one son that he loves and favors, but he was deceived. And then that son reaches out into the darkness for the spouse he thinks he's married, the one he loved, but he's deceived. But what this points to is Jesus. He called out into the darkness for the heavenly father he loved and he was rejected. Listen to how Matthew describes it. Now from the sixth hour on, that's noon by our time, in the middle of the day, there was darkness all over the land and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know the Lord Jesus? He went through eternal darkness for you and for me. He took the nails upon his hands and through his feet, the crown upon his head. This punishment he took because he loved you and took your place on the cross. He took my place on the cross. And the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you give your life to him, you give him everything, not just parts of your life, you give him all. And you believe in your heart that he died, was buried, he rose again, you shall be what? saved. You'll be saved from the eternal punishment that you deserve. And Christ took took the punishment that he did not deserve. And he gives you his eternal life. And he rose from the dead so that you can live forever with him. Do you know him? Would you bow your heads and pray with me right now? If you don't know Christ as your savior, you can make that decision right here, right now. You can say, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve punishment. I thank you, Jesus, that you took it for me on the cross. I give my life to you right here, right now. I accept your free gift of salvation. In your own words, just cry out to God. You can reach out into the darkness and not be rejected. Father, thank you for this story. Lord, this is, oh my, how man messes things up. How sinful men and women just refuse to obey God's blueprint for life and they suffer the consequences. Lord, like Paul told the Corinthian church, these things were written for our examples that we would learn from them and not repeat their mistakes. Father, help us to be wise because of what we learned here this morning. Father, I thank you for the moms that are here in this place. Thank you for the moms who shared the gospel with their children so their children could carry on the gospel to the next generation. Father, help us to be faithful in doing that and not to give into the culture, but to to follow Genesis and to follow God's blueprint for life and for meaningful lives of happiness. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. If you've trusted Christ, amen, I'd love to hear from you about that. I'd like to talk to you about your next steps as a new believer. Or maybe you say, Gary, I don't know, think I'm ready yet. I want to, I still have some questions. Let's have a conversation. You can text me or call me anytime. All right, let's have some a question and answer session. Um, Miss would you help me with this? Okay. If, if you have a question, you can text in right there's my number. Um, if, if you're watching online, you can do that as well. Or you can raise your hand, do it the old fashioned way if you'd rather do that. Okay. Right now there's no questions. Anybody? Okay. Okay. Jose, thanks for bailing me out there, bro. <laughs> Use this one. Um, There may be one there too, but in Galatians, if you're talking about the curse, says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. There's that, and of course, in the Gospels, it talks about Matthew and other Gospels how Jesus said, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani," which he was speaking Aramaic, saying, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And so it's in Psalms, I think it talks about how God cannot look upon sin. So if you read Psalm 22, it describes what was going on in Jesus' heart during the crucifixion. And he, he even answers his own question when he says, why have you forsaken me? In verse 4, he says, because you are holy and you cannot look upon sin. Okay, so that's where it's. So if you think about that, for Jesus' entire earthly life, he always called the Father, Father or Abba. He never said God. He always called him Father, more personal. But when he, he who became, he who knew no sin became sin, when, the, he, when he was in the sinful state, not his own ours, then he said God. He never called God, God. He always called him Father. Because why? Because that relationship had been severed. And he, he was abandoned by his Father so that we could be accepted by the Father. So a good question, Jose. All right, any other questions? And our, Brandon, somebody want to say happy birthday to you? This is Brandon's 40th birthday. Give him a hand. <laughs> the big 40. 0 You should have dressed in black today, man. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. No, just kidding. Lauren, Question. No, it was an actual wrestling match. And I'm going to get that in just just in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'll I'll give you the short answer. He thought he was wrestling with a man. And he was. And he realized at the end, he said, I've wrestled with God. And he was because it was the God-man, Jesus. It was the pre-incarnate Christ. It's what we call Christophany. When Christ appears in the Old Testament in physical form before his birth in Bethlehem. So it's a different type of physical appearance. It's a temporary physical appearance. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was permanent. The body that was born in Bethlehem, the body that was crucified on Cal- Calgary is still the same body on the throne. That's why he said, behold, my scars. See the, the scars on my side. Because it's not a Christophanie anymore. It's not a temporary appearance, the angel of the Lord. So you're doing a good job so far, Chenda. <laughs> All right, any, any other questions? I'm checking the text here. All right. Nobody wants to text the question. That's good. That, those are some really good questions. Well, Ms. Chenda, would you pray for us then? Sure, Let's stand and we, you can do that.
2: Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. I also want to say thank you to the men of this church, the fathers who are examples to us today, Lord. Thank you for uh, their heart to serve us today, to cook the wonderful breakfast. I also want to lift up the women, the women who not only birth children, but the women who put themselves in place to raise up children, to serve and to care for children. Thank you, Father, for giving us examples in the Bible, the good and the not so good, the things we need to learn, Lord. Father, thank you for Pastor Gary and the time and the effort and just everything that he teaches us. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this family that we have who support us, who love us, and that, that you brought to into our lives, into my life. Father, as we move beyond this building Lord we continue to remember you we continue to read your word and keep your word safe in our hearts no matter where we go father we love you and I pray all of this in your son's precious name amen